Hello there. Welcome to the Field Study Podcast, the place for outdoor adventures in the great British countryside. So sit back and relax and join me as I follow my childhood river all the way from its source to the sea. So the source of the river itself, to put it mildly, is um, unassuming. It's a trickle from a wall on the side of the main road in my village. Uh, and on the other side is sort of a mill pond with a, a sunken duck house and building work going on on either side of it. But this is my childhood river. This is the River Yar, or the Eastern Yar, because there, there are two River Yars on the island. And it's sort of the central vein of the village. It runs down underneath Church Street and all the way through the valley, giving the, giving the valley itself its sort of atmosphere and ambience. You could walk through the village and not even notice it as it runs underneath culverts and through people's gardens, hidden by walls. But it's always there. And if you listen hard enough, you can hear it over the sound of the tourist traffic and uh, village life. So this is our start point. So join me and Fern, the dog, as we walk the 19 miles from the village that I grew up in along the banks of my childhood river until it meets the sea. Stay tuned. So the first section of the trail leads us out of the village and away from the river altogether. At its source, it's a, a trickle. It's in its infancy. And sometimes during the year, it completely dries up. Uh, its source is a spring. We've got lots of springs on the south side of the Isle of Wight that sort of bubble up through the, uh, through the gault clay. And one of these springs is the mother of this beautiful river. So we've walked along. We're about four miles into the trail now. And uh, we've passed through my village and the, the village next to it. And we're just on the outskirts and hidden in the bottom of this valley uh, near a place called Southford is a beautiful glade of ancient oak trees um, that sort of twist and meander their way across the river, sort of shrouding it and protecting it. And they're absolutely stunning on this beautiful January day as the light passes through them. They're covered in moss and polypody ferns and like sedge grass. Some of the sedge grass has even grown almost as an epiphyte in the sort of elbows of the trees. We've got the blackened remains of some bracket fungus. We've got turkey tail growing on some of the logs. And during the summer months, this place is a sanctuary for all sorts of wildlife. So the footpath doesn't really get that busy down here. Uh, we're very, very far from the main road. And yeah, so it's, the, so it's the absolute perfect place for lots of wildlife. And if you come here and sit quietly, you can see all sorts. The only activity here in this part of the valley is some, uh, some southern water waterworks, which is what you can hear in the background. So it isn't completely devoid of human interruption. However, things tend to thrive down here in this juvenile stage of the river. And when it floods, it really, really floods. I can see that all of the uh, sedge grass and stuff is swept down where it probably flooded during that really wet spell that we had a few weeks ago. And in the crooks of some of the trees, you get the telltale sign of some plastic waste. In fact, you can see caught between two branches, the corner from a Muller corner yogurt. Um, I don't know why I'm laughing. It's horrible, but uh, it's just a strange thing to see. Uh, from a foraging perspective, this bit of the river also is very, very good during the summer months. Um, this path where it's so wet and can get muddy, and uh, especially when it floods, etc., it means that all the way along you've got these massive clumps of water pepper. 
which if you've never tried water pepper before, um, it's definitely one to learn and forage for later on this year. It's got a spice which hits the tongue in a different way to chili, but is, um, can be equally as hot. So if you like spicy food, water pepper is definitely a wild edible that you need to have in your arsenal. And I'll be doing a video over on the YouTube channel at a later point in the year uh, with some excellent water pepper recipes as well. Um, so yeah, it, it's a similar hot sensation, but it hits the tongue in a different way. It's, um, it's surprising and delicious and one of my favourite things, but I'm a bit of a spice head. Anyway, let's carry on. Got about 16 miles until we reach the sea and it's heading towards lunchtime. The days aren't as long as they should be at this time of year. The bird life down here is incredible. Now the, uh, the path leads under this tunnel of gorse and the farmers sort of cut it into a tunnel rather than clearing it. It was pretty incredible. It's very wet and squelchy. Yeah, it's sort of hollowed out a tunnel that leads down to this dilapidated bridge. If it wasn't for the sound of chainsaws etc it would be quite still and peaceful. Let's have some of these gorse flowers as a trail snack, shall we? You can't eat these fur. Gorse flowers, one of my absolute favourite snacks for along the way. They won't fill you up, but just as a, a flavour thing, they're pretty incredible and they make you salivate which is a good thing if you're feeling a little bit dehydrated. It tastes beautifully coconutty, which on a January day like today is uh, much appreciated. It's sort of a little bit of tropicalness in the middle of winter. It's very summery. It's only mud fern. I think we're gonna have to deal with our fair share of this before the day's out. So this field, which is sort of a sheep field that has the, uh, the river running through it, is beautiful. And it's lined on one side by a row of trees, which I think is probably an overgrown hedgerow of old. But during the autumn, there was a huge colony of brown birch beliefs. They were absolutely delicious. <laughs> Disturbed the crows and a heron, look at that. Huge heron. I have to say in the last few months, I've seen more herons than I've seen in a while. They um. I just disturbed one there, and as it went up, it got mobbed by some crows. So this place that I've come to now is personally quite important to me. Uh, the river has thickened out and has reached its adolescence, I guess. And we've just passed through a huge willow withy bed, which uh, would have been coppiced at some point, but has been dilapidated for as long as I can remember, many years. But this beautiful patch of ground between two villages that's semi-wild and fringed by woodland and the river is a fantastic place for wildlife and plants. And I often used to come here when I was in my late teens. Um, at that point in my life, timekeeping wasn't one of my greatest skills uh, and I'd often miss the bus to school. And the buses in my village come so infrequently, it would mean a two hour wait and then an hour on the bus to get into town. 
so I'd miss my first lesson. So what I often used to do is meander along these footpaths as fast as I could, often with my camera in hand, uh, trying to get to the nearest bus stop which could get me into town, which is in the, the village that we're approaching now of God's Hill. But as is my way, I'd often get distracted along the way. And this is a, a fantastic place to get distracted. It's beautiful at every time of year. Now there's sort of the, the, the spikes of dead mugwort leaves and bracken with bramble pulsing its way through. And there's oak leaves on the floor and these beautiful twisted trees that grow up from the banks of the, the riverside. But in the summer it's awash with sea foam as the meadow sweet pushes through. And interspersed in that is rose bay willow herb, fireweed. So it's this sort of garish white and pink cluster formation. It's really an assault on the senses in the best way possible. I'll definitely bring you guys down here at some point in the summer. It's a fantastic place for plants. Uh, we can do lots of plant identification videos and it is a beautiful spot to sit and have a cup of Rose Bay Willow Herb tea. So in a funny sort of way, missing the school bus probably shaped the human being I am today. <laughs> Look at you, where did you come from? There's a stand of bamboo. It really stands out, especially at this time of year, with these big lime green leaves and their straight upright stems. Probably escaped from one of the gardens upstream, um, but it's a huge thicket of it. And as bamboo does, it just spreads. But invasive bamboo and stuff like that has become much a part of the suburban landscape as anything else. And no matter how wild uh, I might think this place is, or however in tune with the landscape I am, I can't ever get away from the fact that most of the south of England isn't true wilderness, it is suburban. I know that I'm less than a mile from the nearest house on either side, so though I feel isolated and it is beautiful, um, there are always going to be these little reminders dotted around the place, like thickets of bamboo or yoghurt pots in trees, etc. But there's still a lot of delight to be found in exploring the semi-wild places on the fringes of uh, the human landscape. The places where, as a great man once said, life finds a way. <laughs> and this is one of those places. It's turned out amazingly sunny. It's been sort of cloudy for the last couple of days. We've had a, a north wind coming in. So it is still a little bit cold, but it didn't freeze last night, which I'm very thankful for. I think we're going to get quite an early spring this year. The signs of it are all over the place already. There are daffodils out in full force on my little island, and the wild garlic is starting to bully its way out of the soil. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Our climate down here is slightly different from everywhere else. We've got a, a microclimate as an island. Um, which is always a few degrees warmer than everywhere else, just because of the amount of coastline we have and our proximity to the sea. But even on top of that, my village has the uh, earliest last frost date in the entirety of the UK, which is amazing. Our last frost usually comes in the first week of March, uh, whereas others take until April and sometimes even May um, to have their, their last frost. So the plant life here really does have a head start on lots of other places in the country. But like I mentioned in one of my previous videos, uh, if you're foraging for things, it is always good to go out and observe the patches that you're for foraging for. Don't take anyone else's word for when things will appear. It's only through observation that you can truly learn a landscape and know when things are going to be available. 
I find walking an interesting meditation, especially one like this where you're walking an established trail. Uh, really, the, the trail itself is completely arbitrary. It's meaningless. It's just a line on a map. And I think that lots of people, especially in the outdoors community, can get very bogged down about distances and all sorts of stuff. And they forget that what a walk really is, is an open opportunity for change. And so much of that is down to coincidence. Um, when you're walking through a landscape, you might miss something by a few seconds. So that journey through space and time really only exists then. So when you step out your front door for a walk, what you're really doing is saying, I am open to what I might see today. Regardless of distance or discomfort, I am prepared to take joy in it. And I think that is quite an ideological statement to make. So think about that next time you're stepping out the front door. If that makes any sense. But then again, me and Fern might have a differing view at mile 17, so. <laughs> we'll get back to you. So I'm approaching God's Hill and in the distance you can see the the church spire and it really is quite a famous view for the Isle of Wight. It's um, one of them picture postcard villages that absolutely teems with tourists in the summer. Um, and you can see why. It's an incredibly beautiful place with its lines of thatched cottages and church way up on the hill. Now the legend that goes along with the church is that they were trying to build the church on top of the hill and every night that they would return and the, the devil had rolled the stones back to the bottom of the hill and they'd have to roll them all the way back up again. Um, so it's sort of like a Sisyphus's burden mythology thing that goes along with it. There's a, there's a very famous view of the church uh, that's on all of the postcards here and in the front there's a beautiful thatched building called the old bell or the bell and that used to be a pub so you used to be able to leave the church on a sunday and probably go straight into the pub um, so we've left the village of god's hill in our wake and have entered into this huge vast plain of agricultural land that lays to the north of it and this is really the agricultural heartland of this part of the isle of wight and it has been for centuries. So the path now meets back up with the river and uh, I can hear it before I can see it and it definitely sounds very different to when we left it on the other side of God's Hill. It is getting big and bullying its way through the landscape. So thank you for listening to part one of this series. In next week's episode, I'll be walking down the river as it gathers pace and meanders past Roman villas on its way towards the sea. Until then, take care.